0: And welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunder's latest game against the Denver Nuggets. Josh Giddey being ruled out for the remainder of the season. What that's going to mean for the Thunder and who's going to have to fill in for him. And I'm going to be rounding it up with tonight's tank Battle matchup against the Portland Trailblazers, filling you in on the details who's going to be in, who's going to be out, and the lottery implications that will ensue. And to wrap it up, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. But starting things out here, guys, with Saturday's game against the Denver Nuggets. They took up to the Mile High City. For this one you had a lineup with no sga in it obviously josh giddy was unavailable for the game um and, and they kind of just had to rock and roll with what they've been doing with the last week or so where your injury report is about seven to eight guys deep and your rotation is only going to get you <laughs> to about nine players you know so they had to run some thin margins as for the nuggets outside of their main one which has been jamal murray all year They've been pretty much spotless. Michael Porter Jr., he's also kind of clumped in there, but there were no guys out just for the fun of it. You know, it was really the whole the whole group that they had to face up against. So the starting unit had Mann and Maladone at the one and two spot. Poku was at the three. Baze was at the four. And Isaiah Roby was rounding it out at the five spot. And for Denver, they had Monte Morris and Will Barton at that one and two. Aaron Gordon and Jeff Green were taking the forward spots, and Nikola Jokic was at center court up against Isaiah Roby. And Roby is the type of player who is actually a really big advantage, depending on the center. I don't think Nikola Jokic is that type of player, though, where you look at him and say, oh, this is going to be an advantage for me. Isaiah Roby lives off of these bigger, more flat-footed centers, which I guess you could make a case that Jokic is, but he's also the best center in the NBA right now. And if not, Joel Embiid is going to be there, right? Like, he's in the elite class of centers, and he's in the MVP race for a reason. It's a big mismatch for Oklahoma City. They didn't have Jeremiah, Robinson, Earl, Favors, and Muscala have been gone for the last month or so. So you just kind of have to stick it out and hope that everything kind of works out. And as this game went on, Oklahoma City actually found some success early. They just kept going to the paint. Their first 10 points came all inside, made it a 12-10 to deficit a little bit in, and they were looking good. I mean, they were going kind of shot for shot with the starters. Then Mike Malone called that timeout, and the game completely changed. Oklahoma City could not get back inside. I believe they finished the first quarter with about 14 points in the paint, so they got axed. Only four more points in the paint for them. They had to work towards other options, and simply put, They were not there. Now, they went into the second quarter down 32-25, to but they had already poked the bear a good bit here in Nikola Jokic. He finished the first quarter of play on 4 of 5 shooting for 11 points, had 3 rebounds and 4 assists to go along with it, and they were out shooting the Thunder 52% to 39%. Not much three-point activity on either side, but when it came down to getting around the basket, Denver obviously has the more consistent option than Oklahoma City, just due to the sheer size of Aaron Gordon, Jeff Green, and Nikola Jokic, and Oklahoma City really having to rely on some of these penetrations, these dribble drives, to create stuff around the basket. And the same story sort of continued as you moved on into the second quarter of play. Oklahoma City kind of copied the back end of the first where they were looking to drive inside, but they just couldn't find the options. They decided to go to the three-point line, though, due to that, and the adjustment to go to the three-ball worked marvelous for them. Their first three shots came from downtown, and it looked like they would be able to make some sort of surge. The one issue, though, was Denver, while OKC was still trying to figure things out, had just been continuing to hound Oklahoma City around the basket. Because of it, yeah, you get your three three three-pointers going, you're thinking you have a shot, but those three shots came in a span of about like five or six minutes. In Denver, they had already hit a pair of triples, and you still had Jokic and Green just killing you around the cup. So they had a double-digit lead midway, into the quarter, it looked like they would be going into halftime with a big lead. They were up 15, 16 points at their highest point here. But then OKC got on a mini tangent. They closed the quarter on a 7-0 run, and they walked into halftime down 9 points, 58-49. to Now, one of the big takeaways from this second quarter, Darius Baisley came down with a tumble. He played 14 minutes in this first half, but he had to hit the exits early. There was a right knee sprain that occurred with him. So they had to find an adjustment there. And then you kind of got a bit of uh, you know, the snowball effect where they did go on that 7-0 run. But his loss, obviously, is going to be very big for you because he's one of their best finishers around the basket. You're not going to find a better like gatherer uh, on the roster than him, I would say. And that hurts whenever... A lot of your success was coming off of downhill drives to open the game. It was points in the paint. So you had to kind of divert the attention and kind of rework your game plan. But obviously, any way you're going to cut that one, that is a pretty damn brutal hit to the rotation. And, you know, being down only 9 through 24 minutes is actually pretty good because they were playing from behind a lot of that second quarter. And the first quarter... You saw the lead slip away pretty easily. Like There was no point where OKC was really in rhythm until that little mini spurt you had um, in that back end of the second. But they also just didn't have that number one option like we've had in previous games. Trey Mann getting his 14-point quarters, SGA having 20 points in the second half. It wasn't there. Poku was the number one guy, but he only had 10 points. And he had five of those 10 coming from the free throw line. So you couldn't get those high success shots. They were shooting 36% from the floor. They did catch some fire from distance. Lindy was 3 of 5 from deep. But on the flip side, all the Nuggets had to do was just feed the rock to the Joker. 17 points, 9 rebounds, and 5 assists through 17 minutes. And going into the third quarter, it really looked like they did not have to adjust their game plan because of Nicola and what he was doing. But Oklahoma City actually had a pretty good run to begin the first half, or the second half. They went on an 11-4 stint to cut the deficit to one possession. And this only came in three minutes' time. So they widen the game. You had to get another timeout from Malone. And just like the first quarter, what do they do? They close off the interior. And on offense, they're just going to feed Jokic. Kept force-feeding him. That lead went right back up to double digits. And by the time they went to the fourth quarter, Denver had an 11.87 to 76 lead. For Jokic, he had nine points in this quarter, so he was already up to 26 on the evening. And Will Barton added 11 points of his own, so they had that pairing right there. And OKC side, Roby had four of four shots go in. That's about it. They didn't have a three-point shot, and that ended up really killing them. The one thing, though, with this Thunder team is you can be down 11. You can be down 9. They're still going to fight, and that's what they did to begin the fourth quarter. Trey Mann caught the hot hand. You know, based on the last week or two, when he's feeling it, there's not really much you can do as a defender, right? Like You just have to pray that there's an unlucky bounce because... The way he's able to open himself up from distance is very scary. And his self-creation skills even tap in to the inside. But he started hitting the cords down from distance. Stuck a three-pointer with 9.35 to play in the fourth. And it drew Oklahoma City within three. By the midway mark, Tao got inside. Hit a layup of his own. And he tied the game at 97 all. This came out of nowhere, almost. This was one where Denver through three quarters looked to have had this one in the bag, just feed it around the basket, shut OKC off from the interior, and you're going to be good. And then it just completely changed. You started seeing Trey hit those shots. Teo started going into his zone. Lindy Waters started feeling it, not just off the catch, but also off the move. And Alexei Pokushevsky, sneakily, was about to hit 20 points in the game. So there were about four or five really solid options for the Thunder in the fourth quarter. And for Denver, they had just entrusted Jokic so much. By the time the gas kind of wore off there... They didn't have anything to do, so they just had to continue to fight, use their timeouts, keep the starters in, and pray that they could somehow get the victory out. When this was going on, you had to think of the deja vu situation last month. Denver starters shoot one of twenty five on threes in in arena in their arena. And Oklahoma City is able to win with basically the same exact lineup you have in this one. So you start reminiscing a little bit, and then you get into clutch time. 97 all, Denver hits a bucket, OKC fires back. Same thing happens four times leading into the final minute of the game, and someone had to get it. It was basically the situation of whoever has the ball last is going to get the victory, and Denver they ended up being the team that had the ball last, or at least they had the last major strike. Denver was able to put in a layup, miss on one side for OKC, other end, they come back down and stick a three-pointer. That's a 5-0 run in the final minute, and that is going to be the game clincher for the Nuggets. They won this one 113-107. to 107. For Oklahoma City that loss moves them to 21 and 53 on the season and they still remain fourth in reverse standing so this was an interesting one where once again you face a playoff caliber team but you make them fight you never give up and you keep everyone happy you keep it close but for that tanking camp you still keep the ping pong balls so I'll be going more into detail about the top players from this game, top storylines, and one second here. But first, I want to let you guys know about my very good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook and the special offer they have going on for you guys. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's biggest victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like, who will make it to the next round? and who will hit the most three-pointers. Then, track your results. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any college hoops team to win, and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus age requirement restrictions apply see show notes for details moving on though to the stats from this game you gotta kick it off with Nikola Jokic man this was the one man show there's a reason he's in the MVP conversation finish the night with 35 points on the game tallied that up with 12 rebounds and eight assists for denver now they still had some very solid options i mentioned how will barton had his 11 point third quarter he ended up finishing this game with 18 points but aaron gordon was also a very solid presence around the basket he had 20 points to go along with nine rebounds but basically they just had to go right to the cup to yield their success the three-point shot was flaky yet again they shot 25.8 percent on triples but they won the points in the paint battle 64 to 48 and for oklahoma city a lot of their points have had to come around the basket they've gotten a lot better from three don't get me wrong but typically they're going to need to be pretty high up there on the points in the paint scale if they want to get out of victory and they were damn near close they countered it with a beautiful display from three-point land yet again they shot 38.9 percent on threes went 14 of 36 from there and due to that you started to get those hot streaks specifically to open the quarters where you're going on 11 four runs you're able to get the lead down to three points, tie the game up off a Teo Maladon shot. Like they needed those plays, and because Denver the entire night was just afraid to shoot these three point shots, when these were going down, if they tried matching, it wasn't going to end too well for them. So the door remained open just based off of the three pointer, and it stayed open because of the surprisingly good performances of OKC's bench squad. Now, when you Initially, look at this Thunder lineup. There's going to be people that pop out to you, right? Like SGA, of course, he's the man at the helm. Josh Getty, he's not playing. Lou Dort, he's not playing. A lot of those top two guys were not available here. And it flashes a lot of what we saw last season, where the rookies are now the ones in the limelight. Second and third year players are playing 30 minutes when before this, they were hardly playing NBA basketball whatsoever. So the opportunities are going to be abundant. It just comes down to who's going to make the biggest mark. And there were some big marks to be had here. Tao Maladon is the one that stuck out to me. Second game in a row, he dropped a 20-piece. He had 20 points on the game to go along with three assists. With him, his production has been spotty all season long. Like He was the worst point guard to begin the season for the Thunder. It's really not a debate here. He had to work up in the G League. Still... Didn't really have a major spot when he returned. Jerome goes down. SGA's not playing in this one. And just by process of committee, like, he's that next man up. And he had to play another starting gig next to Trey. Did an excellent job in terms of slashing in the basket and finding his way inside. He went 6-13 on the game, and he led the Thunder in scoring. Another big game from Alexei Pokushevsky as well. 17 points, 5 rebounds, and 5 assists. 5 of 8 from the field, 2 of 4 from distance, and 5 of 6 at the free throw line. The story continues of him just remaining a consistently solid figure for the Thunder. He hasn't had the crazy like 30-point games or the 29-point game we saw against the Clippers just yet, but... He's been dropping like 15 plus points and he's really only been doing it inside. Like those big games we've seen have almost entirely come from the three point line. Like, do you remember, I think it was against the Suns. He, he had that rookie record of seven made threes. There wasn't a lot of interior play this year, a lot of it's inside game. That's tapping out to the offensive end. And I really want to hone in the last like month or so when we've seen that really on its highest stage. He's been an inside-out player, and I think that kind of correlates with just the consistency he's had offensively. You're going to get the bad air balls still. You're going to have these flaky outputs, but when he's working around the basket and he's really playing true to his 7-foot frame, you're starting to see this OKC offense really be able to use him, and they're able to find him in just a multitude of different ways. So this was just yet another game where you give Poku a passing grade, same goes for Trey Mann, he had 15 points and 3 assists, 5 of 15 from the field, obviously that's not going to be ideal, but he's like the main scorer now, with SGA and Giddy out, you have to find him open, and you know he's going to take those looks if he has it, he's fresh off of dropping like a 30 point game, he's had multiple 20 pieces over the last 10 games, 15 points on this efficiency really isn't all that bad. 33%, yeah, it could be better, but everyone's going to have a bad game. Trust me, it could be way worse than what we saw. Very efficient still when he had his mini spurt in the fourth quarter. Still want to mention a couple other guys here. Had Lindy drop 14 points, 4 of 10 from 3. They really just used him like a Duncan Robinson almost where he's going to be pinned in the corner, of course, but also the flybys where he's just running around the wing, getting the ball off of a DHO and just letting it rip. He was excelling at that and he's excelled at it throughout the season. The progression we've seen from his time with Oklahoma City Blue, where he just wasn't playing to now, is absolutely remarkable. And it's even more remarkable because now he's doing this on a major stage And he has massive support from his fan base. If you guys don't know, Lindy is of Native American heritage. He's the only player in the NBA of Native American heritage right now. And this was a very special moment for him at the Ball Arena. There were like 300 fans waiting to see him after the game to congratulate him. Just what a special moment for him. And he put on a really good show for the fans in attendance as well very good stuff from him very good stuff from the community and yeah just what a good moment as a sports fan before we round this segment up though want to talk about a couple other players Wiggins ended the game with 10 points Roby had 12 points and 7 rebounds in that starting group and Baisley finished his 14 minutes with 7 points and 3 rebounds pivoting off that though you go into the next game against the Portland Trailblazers. I want to get into that in one second here. But first, I want to talk about the newest addition to the injury report. And it's really not even a new one. It's just new details on the injury surrounding Josh Giddy. Now, Josh Giddy has been out really the entire time post All-Star break. He might have had one or two games, and then he kind of called it quits. And it's been a pretty unpredictable injury for him. He's been listed out for like two, three weeks at a time. He was day-to-day initially after his injury, but he succumbed a hip injury that has just kept him entirely out. And with only eight games remaining on the schedule, it makes sense as to why you should pull the plug. If there's any doubt that there could be a re-injury or some struggles you don't want to play Getty, like the way it is right now. Oklahoma City is not going to be in the plans. These are going to be some very fun games and they're going to be great opportunities for younger players because you are on the home stretch of games. But if you're not on 100%, there's not a point in doing so. Getty has already secured his spot. He's going to be a, a pretty big cog in the franchise moving forward. You want to give guys like Mann and Maladone time anyways and... That's going to interfere if you put Giddy back in, number one. But number two, if Giddy's not ready to play, you should not force him in to begin with. He's a very high priority for the Thunder organization, and you should not be risking that to play against the Portland Trailblazers tonight, you know? So they made the correct ruling here and just keeping him out. Now, obviously, we don't really have any like medical records on Giddy's whole scenario. It's been a little bit hush hush on the Thunder's end of talking about not just giddy's injury but really everybody surrounding the team like just now we're starting to hear on giddy and a couple of other players but yeah this is going to end it for him hell of a season for josh giddy averaged 12 and a half points 7.8 rebounds and 6.4 assists in 54 games holds honors i think he's number 1 through 4 on the youngest to record a triple double had that one game against the Mavs to open the year and just do- or triple-double after triple-double after triple-double, almost passed Oscar, Rob- uh, Oscar Robertson had he gotten a fourth consecutive one. That would have been ridiculous to do as a rookie. But yeah, I mean, he showed you just about everything you needed to. He was the rookie of the month every month he's been healthy like the streak lasted from the beginning of the year up until february now this month western conference rookie of the year or rookie of the month probably will be Jalen green or someone of that nature but had giddy played and had he kept on pace with his numbers maybe he kept it as a kind of like a home sweep you know we'll see if he's gonna be first team all rookie or second team all rookie He's definitely one of the top 10 rookies this season, though, and he has earned a lot of respect. Draft Day did not treat him so kindly. A lot of people wanted James Booknight. Jonathan Kuminga was a pick voiced by many, and Giddy was a curveball. People didn't understand the fit. They didn't know if he'd work with SGA. They didn't know if he'd be able to kind of excel at the next level. He's done so, and he's done so at an insane rate. He's a hell of a playmaker. He's going to be great to play alongside SGA. And next season, with the emergence of Trey Mann, you're going to have three very young players to build off of. And that's not even including what you're going to find in the offseason pool. So good stuff by Giddy. This was one where safety has to come first. Just like SGA's planter faster deal, you got to value next year more than what you have going in the now. So he's going to kick out of here. You're going to get a big kind of gap to fill in minutes, but they've already sort of done that, you know? Like, I think if you're going to find the alternatives on who's replacing Giddy, it's been a month long process of kind of honing in who's that going to be. Trey Mann is clearly the first. Like, he's been the number two option with Giddy out, and when SGA is out, he has been literally number one here. Averaged 17.4 points in the last 10 games. 4.8 rebounds and 2.7 assists to go along with that, shooting 40.6% from distance. Almost taking eight a game, by the way. So he's ready. I mean, you keep him in that highest gear, you let him shoot 20 shots a game, and you really just live with that end result. Same goes for a guy like Tao. You know, I, I don't think he's obviously up there right now, but he's been starting the last week, and he's done a very good job. Last 10 games, has have seen him average 10.1 points and 3.5 and assists. Now, when you go into splits, like he's shooting 43% per- uh, in all, 30 about from 3-point land. The big thing, though, is the last two games. He's been the guy that tankers have just dreaded right now. He's posted two 20-point games in a row. A 25-point game two games ago and a 20-point game in the last one against the Denver Nuggets. And you got the Trailblazers coming up, could make it three, uh, depending on how tight that defense is going to be. But, yeah, he's still looking excellent off the high ball screens. The decision-making is one of his strengths there. And from the three-point line, kind of seeing shades of last year, opening the year at least, where he was able to kind of work off of SGA off the catch-and-shoot. Now, one thing that I'd like to point out is maladone's role has shifted and it always shifts when sga is gone or when just the primary ball handlers are out last year you didn't see sga to close things ty jerome got in the mix but he wasn't the number one in command with the basketball this year when he has played typically he'll be in that second unit but he'll be playing second fiddle next to ty jerome now ty's out now giddy's out now sga's out he's a starter And even though Trey Mann is going to be your number one option, he's not the pass-first point guard. Teo, more or less he is. So that's given him more reps, and it's given him a lot more success. So it gives you some question marks going into the offseason, and it puts him under a magnifying glass to see how he's able to close the year out. Same goes for Vic Crudgy. He's averaged 6.7 points and 4.2 rebounds in the last 10. Those numbers don't pop off or anything, Like that, but he's been a pretty solid role player. And he's not just been an inside force, the passing ability has been there, but he's been more of a spot up shooter, which is a very big surprise. He shot 15 of 35 from three in his last 10 games. And that goes to about 43%. Basically, he's been the Thunder's best option as a three point shooter. With Zaragoza, my scouting report had him very high as a wing who could cut backdoor and maybe play as your secondary ball handler. I thought the three-point shot had good mechanics, but I didn't think it'd work as well as it has right now. He has been a sharpshooter. He's shooting over 40% on the season right now. Sample size is low, I get it. But he's gotten some consistency when he's left wide open. Does he still stay wide open as games go on? I couldn't tell you as of now, but he's proven to be an apt three-point shooter. And that means a lot to me while he's playing as a two guard and a three, he's kind of assuming what Giddy was doing where he's, yeah, he's kind of like a guard, but they're utilizing him in different positions. He's been able to patch it up and obviously there's a hit in production, like he's a whole different player, but he still gives you some good moments. He's only 21 years old too. So the potential is definitely there and the potential is going to be all over the court tonight in the thunders tank battle against the portland trailblazers just looking at the tankathon rankings right now there's a three-way tie for the number one odds three-way tie and as we've discussed on the pod the top three teams have the exact same cut at the number one overall pick and a top four pick number one's 14 percent top four is 52.1 percent then you drop off to the fourth spot okc is a game and a half back right now and then you have the portland trail blazers who are six games behind the thunder and seven and a half games away from that grand prize in a top three pick this is a scary game because even though on paper you see this big discrepancy in the win and loss column Portland is not playing their main team right now. They're playing their um their bench unit. I was going to say starters. Absolutely not. They're playing their bench unit, and they have more people on the injury report than any other team in the league right now. They have 10 guys on the injury listing for tonight's game, and for Oklahoma City, if they pick up a win, now you're two and a half games away from where you want to be. You still have some head to head matchups between Detroit, Orlando, and Houston, so you can make some ground. But having a two and a half game break is very, very tough to handle. So, for the tanking crew, you'd want to root for the Trailblazers. And that's a shame because for the first time, seemingly all season, the Oklahoma City Thunder enter the game as a favorite. This is from DraftKings Sportsbook here. They have Oklahoma City winning. The bar is at 1.5 right now, so one and a half points going in OKC's direction. I don't recall talking about the betting lines for Thunder Games because normally they're going to be the underdog, but because of Portland, because of how they have just gouged out their rotation, it's seriously a, a real toss up here. And it's not just the obvious guys that have been out. Like Dame, he's been out for the rest of the year. I don't care. Like, I think that makes sense why you would keep him out from play. Same goes to someone like Josh Hart, too. But recently, they've tacked Yusuf Nurkic on the board, and Anthony Simons is on there. He's just become too good for the tank. He's been playing out of his mind. So he got pulled, and now. You have an extensive injury report here. I'll, I'll try r- running it all off. Right, Eric Bledsoe's out from the game. Josh Hart's gone. No Joe Ingles. No Damian Lillard. No Nasir Little. Didi Lizoda is out. Yusuf Nurkic, Anthony Simons, Trendon Watford, and Justice Winslow. And you still have Greg Brown as doubtful to play in the game so if you want to read it by the numbers here there are 10 guys that are out and potentially you could make that 11 so it's a bunch of bench players and hardship exception signings chris dunn just got signed to another contract drew eubanks he's actually been a beast he's been starting the games for them so they are really down bad for their roster and for Oklahoma City. They still are dealing with injuries. You got Lou, you still have Ty, you got Mike Muscala. No Derek Favors, I really no update on that. Josh Giddy, add him to the guys after the rest of the year. SGA's not playing, and same goes with Kenrich Williams. So, you also get, I think that's seven guys for Oklahoma City that will not be suiting up. And it could turn to eight because Darius Baisley is doubtful to play. One new breakthrough, though, is Jeremiah Robinson Earl has been cleared. He's available to play tonight. This is going to be the first time he's played in seven weeks. That's going to be huge. I would expect he's on a minute restriction. Like I think Roby is going to be your starting center, but maybe a 15 to 20-minute cut could be in order for him. Might go for Baisley as well if he is cleared up to run here. But the starting units are going to be just absolutely chaotic. For the Thunder, you kind of already know the basics of it. Like, Teo will be there, Trey Mann, Aaron Wiggins, Poku, and Romy probably will do the trick for you. But for the Portland Trailblazers' side, it's very funky because they've played a bunch of just really weird lineups uh, over the the last week when they've seen everyone kind of drop like flies for the rotation. But now... They're going into this really without a true power forward, and if Greg Brown plays, he played in the last game, this is going to be your starting power forward, but right now, they've been running Keon Johnson and Brandon Williams as a starting one and two, CJ Ellaby has been the small forward, Trendon Watford's been the power forward, and Eubanks has been the center. Watford's not there, Brown not, might not be there. Who's the replacement? I don't know if there is. There's Kelvin Blevins, who's six foot six, Elijah Hughes is six foot five, Ben McLamore's been playing, Chris Dunn's been playing. That's about all you have to work with right now. So they have a nine-man rotation that's actually more vulnerable from the paint than Oklahoma City. That's never been the case this year. It's always been looking at the center spot and saying, well, there's a disadvantage. Now, we'll call it how it is. I think Drew Eubanks is probably dropping a double double like he'll be out there for a while he's a solid rebounder he's solid around the basket that's a matchup that he'd probably win against Isaiah Roby but in the full 48 minutes I don't really know how this is going to shake up if you don't have a power forward and this makes sense why the Thunder would be given the upper hand here in betting lines I bet this is a big game for Poku. He's been consistent this entire month. If the Trailblazers don't have a real power forward, this is one where he can work inside, and I'm sure if he's feeling it from the interior, like that, that'll pop out to the three as well. If you see Eubanks go off, I think that's the one uh, key factor. Maybe you see a Ben McElmore just pop off, drop a 20-piece, but... Truthfully, I doubt it. I think if that happens, you'll see CJ Ellaby check in like in a heartbeat. Uh, But yeah, like their main point of attack probably will be through Eubanks. And there have been a couple surprises. Like Keon Johnson's been dropping double figures. Brandon Williams has been sneakily like their top scorer lately. So there's going to be some players to look at. But this is basically playing at an even, even level because the Thunder... They've been running thin on their lineup. A lot of new guys have had opportunities over the Trailblazers. They've had a ton of guys get new opportunities as well, just due to all of the injuries. So, this will be one that has a lot of implications, yet again with the lottery. Still have another game to play against these guys, anyways, but this is the first bout that they will square off against. So I will get you guys the game recap of this one as it concludes the top players from the game, the top takeaways, and what that lottery outlook looks like in that one. But other than that though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.